Welcome to the Home Cook's Guide. I'm your host, Megan O'Donnell. I'm an above average home cook on a mission to help you elevate your everyday meals from ordinary to extraordinary. Aren't you tired of making the same boring meals every week? Well, I've got just the podcast for you. Every Monday episode will inspire you with new and diverse recipes. Together, we'll uncover the dish's rich history, we'll break down the ingredients, and talk through the step-by-step cooking process. Whether you're new to cooking or just looking for some weekly recipe inspo, this is the show for you. Be sure to follow on all social media platforms at The HCG Podcast for additional cooking inspo and show updates. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Home Cook's Guide. I'm your host, Megan O'Donnell, and today's episode is inspired by none other than the Royal Housewives of New York City. You may know me from my previous podcast, Bravo Happy Hour, and know that I am completely obsessed with all things Bravo TV. And to be quite honest, a lot of the dishes I make on my day-to-day basis are things people order on various reality shows or that I've read about in books. But this North African dish, shakshuka, made waves throughout the first season of the new Real Housewives of New York reboot. So it not only inspired me to make this dish, but it made me feel so inclined to share the wealth on how to create this simple, delicious, healthy, and yes, vegetarian meal. If Aaron from the Real Housewives of New York can do it, you absolutely can too. So shakshuka is one of those dishes that have many regional variations and is also one of those dishes that many different countries claim to have created. We love a controversial dish. But this dish has North African roots from many different countries, from Tunisia, Algeria, Libya, Morocco, Egypt, Turkey. We're going all around the world. So over time, this dish became super popular within Jerusalem and all throughout Israel, where it's now known as a staple dish for breakfast and lunch, or hey, even dinner if you're crazy like that. Obviously, there's a lot going on in that part of the world right now, and we are not going to be talking about that. We are going to be talking about shakshuka. This dish is on rotation for my household on weekends and even a weekday if I'm feeling real crazy and happen to wake up early, which is pretty much never. It's a healthy way to mix up your usual eggs and bacon breakfast, and it's very impressive when you put this beautiful plate of sautéed tomatoes and peppers and eggs on your table in the vessel that you cook it in and just let people kind of go at it. And obviously... Nothing is better than when you can just take pita or bread and just sop up delicious, saucy goodness from the bottom of the pan. So we will be making a super simple version of this dish that is kind of perfect for peak summer vegetables because it features tomatoes and peppers. But I do feel like this is one of those dishes where you can use off-season tomatoes as well as quote-unquote off-season peppers. I'm not a big fan of peppers anyways. So in-season, off-season, I'm not really going to be gravitating towards them. But within this dish, it has a very mild flavor that adds beautiful depth. And obviously, we always want to cook things within its proper season. Not only are they more delicious, but they generally are more affordable when it's their proper season. But because we'll be cooking these tomatoes down with herbs and spices, I'm not really precious in the season that I'm making the shakshuka. There are a lot of different variations of this recipe. You can add meat like chorizo and lamb mince. If you're cooking this in the winter, you can add some potatoes or eggplants in the spring. You can throw some artichokes and zucchini in the summertime. It's a really good way to kind of use up some of those vegetables that you might just have decaying in your fridge. If they have got like one or two days left thrown in a shakshuka, you won't ever notice that there's, you know, maybe a little wilt to uh, <laughs> to your zucchini in <laughs> in the shakshuka. You can also make a delicious green shakshuka with spinach and herbs, which is just another delicious divine dish. Delicious divine dish. And you also might be familiar with the Italian variation of this dish, which is called eggs in purgatory, which just uses Italian spices and basil rather than cumin and cilantro. 
This dish is super customizable and we'll talk more about various different types of toppings you can add to the final product later in the show. So I will be basing this recipe off of Yotem Atalangi Shakshuka recipe. Yotem has a ton of inspiring cookbooks and restaurants throughout London, which focus on veggie-forward food inspired by his upbringing in Jerusalem. This recipe is from his book, Jerusalem, which, no surprise, explores the amazing flavors of (laughs) Jerusalem. So I have found all of his recipes to be consistently healthy, pretty easy, and very flavorful. Some of his recipes will require you to do a few extra steps to develop more flavor, but those extra steps have generally proven to be worth it. This recipe is super straightforward and won't require you to go above and beyond and do anything crazy to get that final product. And I will post the recipe in the show notes for you to reference. So this dish will come together in about 40 minutes between the deceptively large amount of chopping, simmering all the vegetables, and then ultimately poaching the eggs within the simmered vegetables. This recipe will feed about three to five people, but can be more or less based on how many people you're feeding, and we'll talk more about that later in the episode. Alrighty, let's get into it. So, one of the main flavor profiles in a classic shakshuka is harissa. So, harissa, if you don't know, is a red chili paste or sauce that's made from a few different ingredients that always include dried chilies, garlic, olive oil, some citrus, and a few warming spices. It's a smoky and kind of tangy and slightly sweet, spicy but not too spicy condiment that you can add to many different things. So we're going to be using two tablespoons of harissa paste in this dish. So this product can possibly be a little bit trickier to find. If you can find it in your store, you'll probably find it in more of like the international aisle, depending on where you're shopping. You will have more than two tablespoons worth of paste in the jar that you purchase. This paste is really versatile. You can add it to some mayo and make some kind of fun dipping sauce for any kind of item that needs dipping, i.e. like a chicken nugget, chicken finger, even just regular chicken. (laughs) You could smear it onto some bread and use it as a condiment in a sandwich. You could also take that harissa mayo and spread it across a delicious baguette and then add some tomatoes on top, kind of like a bruschetta. Or the easiest thing you can do with harissa paste is just simply rub around meat or fish and use it as a really easy marinade. Because the flavor is so rich, it's not something that you're going to have to marinate for 20 hours in the fridge. You can put it on for 20 minutes before you cook the meat or fish and then throw it right into the oven and it will have that beautiful, smoky, tangy, spicy flavor that we are all craving after trying this dish. If you're not able to access the paste, you might be able to find harissa powder in the spice aisle at your grocery store. And so if you are going to be making your own harissa paste from the powder, I don't know if you can hear the church bells outside, but I feel like that's a good sign for this episode. God is watching, (laughs) or maybe God is listening. So if you're not able to find that paste in your grocery store, you should be able to find the harissa powder in your spice aisle. It's another type of specialty item. If your grocery store isn't very adventurous in some of the spices and pastes that they offer, you can um, obviously buy this online. But if you do have access to the harissa powder from your store, you can just take the harissa powder and you're going to need to combine two teaspoons of the harissa powder with one and a half teaspoons of olive oil and one and a half teaspoons of water. And this should get you about a tablespoon of a type of paste that will mimic what you know, the harissa paste in the the jar will give you. And so because we're going to be needing two tablespoons of harissa paste, we're going to want to double that harissa powder into paste recipe. And if you're not able to find the paste and you're not able to find the powder, then I've read that you can whip up your own version by taking some tomato paste, 
and adding some chili powder and some smoked paprika, and it will kind of mimic a little bit of the, the flavor profiles of harissa paste. I haven't tried this hack myself, so don't come for me if you try it and it's disgusting. <laughs> So then we will need two teaspoons of tomato puree. And so tomato puree just has a thicker consistency and a deeper flavor than regular tomato sauce. And we're not gonna wanna swap in tomato paste as an alt here because tomato paste is made from concentrated tomatoes, which will have a sweeter and richer flavor. You should be able to find a small can of it at your grocery store and the remaining balance of whatever tomato puree that you have, you could throw that into a regular sauce that you're making with meatballs and pasta, or you can add it to, let's say, your broth for a lentil soup. You can always kind of find ways to kind of dump that sauce into something. We will then need two large red peppers, and we are going to be dicing them. So we're going to want to dice them small, but again, it's kind of up to your own preference. As I mentioned earlier, I eat peppers, but they are not my favorite. So in a dish like this, I prefer them to be really tiny so that each bite isn't overpowered by a peppery flavor. The pepper will lose some of its bite once we're sauteing it down with all of the other delicious spices and aromatics. And when we're cutting peppers, we want to make sure that we are cutting the pepper as close to the stem as possible. And from there, you'll be able to pull out the stem and the core and the seeds, which will go directly into the compost bin. But you want to make sure that you're cutting up the top portion of the pepper as well. Too many good pepper tops have been tossed into the garbage and not on my watch. We want to make sure that we're utilizing every piece of the vegetables that we're spending our hard-earned money on. Moving forward, <laughs> we will also have four garlic cloves and we will just finally chop all four of them. Easy peasy. We'll have one teaspoon of ground cumin and cumin is a pantry staple for spices. You may be more familiar with cumin and let's say a taco seasoning or within a chili, but it really can add a lot of rich and hearty depth to any type of dish. And cumin is really highly used in this part of the world where this dish is from. I actually don't really like the smell of it when it's raw, but I do enjoy it when it's cooked in dishes. I don't, you know, really know how that cognitive dissonance works, but that is the joy and fun of food. And, oh my gosh, now it's coming to me that cumin is also a Real Housewives of New Jersey reference to my people who know you know. Uh, Teresa Dujite used some cumin in her cookbook all about Italian food. So, look... My references are all deeply rooted in Housewives history. So if you're interested in that, you're lucky. If you're not, I'm sorry. <laughs> then we will need five large tomatoes. If you're not able to get the five large ripe tomatoes and you have to get them from a can, Yotem suggests about 800 grams in total. So we're going to chop up all of the tomatoes and we're going to want to chop them up not too small because we want to have that tomato texture in each bite. And if we chop them up too small, they may end up disintegrating and turning into more of a marinara sauce texture, which is not really what we're wanting here. And then, of course, we need the eggs because the poached eggs are kind of the main part of this dish. So as I mentioned earlier, the amount of eggs you're going to need will depend on how many people you're cooking for. Generally, we are going to do four main eggs in our pan, skillet, whatever you want to use. And each of those four eggs will have both the yolks and whites intact. And so you can add as many additional yolks as you'd like. We don't want to add more egg whites to it because as you'll see, the egg whites spread a little bit more. We don't want to lose the tomato and peppery taste because there's too many egg whites. So let's say you're cooking for four people. You could do four eggs with their yolk and whites and then maybe add 
two or three just yolks. And so you'll do the same exact thing. You'll kind of make your little divot, which we'll get into a little bit more during the cooking process. But let's say maybe seven to eight eggs is perfect. So when I cook this dish, it's a little bit heavy. So I generally serve one yolk per person with then a heaping bowl of the tomatoes and peppers on the side. Because this is one of those dishes that will require so much delicious bread or pita to soak everything up, I don't always feel like I need that many eggs. So I would say go with your gut on how many people you're feeding and where you want to start. If this is your first time making it, maybe just start with four. But if you're cooking for five people, maybe do four full eggs, two yolks, whatever you feel, and gauge how much the people in your life are actually going to be eating. Because again, we don't want to just gratuitously waste eggs. And so for these eggs, depending on how many you're going to make, you are not going to crack them in advance. You're going to have to kind of do it on the spot when you're cooking because you'll see each little egg basket needs to have its own space for the yolk and the egg white. We're not going to want them all jumbled up into one bowl where then you're going to have to kind of figure out how to get it out with the yolk and a perfect amount of eggs. So this is going to be a practice in cracking eggs quickly and, you know, going with the flow. It doesn't matter if they break, we'll get there in the cooking process. Then we will need some basics. We'll obviously need some salt for seasoning to your preference and we will need two tablespoons of cooking olive oil for sauteing everything As I mentioned before, this dish is really versatile, so you can have lots of different toppings based on your preference. So Yotam suggests one of the main toppings be labna, which is a Middle Eastern yogurt that has been strained to remove most of its whey proteins, and that ends up resulting in a thicker-than-normal, unstrained yogurt. It will still have that distinctive sour taste of a yogurt. I will tell you, a lot of stores may not carry labna, So when I make this dish, I generally use plain Greek yogurt to get this labna-esque creaminess added onto our dish. You can also make labna yourself. All you'll need is Greek yogurt, salt, a couple cheesecloths, and, you know, about 24 hours to spare. So if you're making this willy-nilly, you might not have time to make labna, and it's okay. Most grocery stores will have plain Greek yogurt, which will be a perfect substitute. If you do end up finding labna in your store, you're not going to need the full container's worth of labna for this dish. You're going to need four or five dollops to spread around, pretty much wanting each person to have one good dollop of the labna. But you can use your extra labna for so many different delicious things, like some kind of savory dips for crudite or more pita bread if you still have it. Or you could check out Yotam's uber-famous carrot recipe that lays out these delicious carrots on a bed of labna. And it just looks so beautiful and clean and delicious. Actually, you know what you could do? You can use your leftover labna, mix it with the harissa paste, then put the chopped tomatoes with a little bit of balsamic on top of it to enhance that bruschetta, as I mentioned earlier. Look at me, piecing things together, utilizing some of the items that we've purchased for this dish, and enhancing future dishes. (laughs) We love to see it. So this yogurt topping will really add creaminess to a somewhat acidic dish. Even though the yolks offer a delicious fattiness to this dish, the yogurt will add creaminess. And I just think it takes it to another level. So even if you're not super comfortable with eating yogurt with savory dishes, I would say give it a try. My boyfriend hates eating yogurt in general, but he appreciated a little dollop on his shakshuka the last time I made it. So I say lean in and try new things. 
So on top of our shakshuka, we always want to add a little bit of green freshness to the top. So you could chop up some cilantro or parsley and put that on top as well. The last time I made it, I didn't have either on hand and I didn't feel like I was really missing anything. So again, optional. If you have it in your fridge, amazing. If you don't, then skip it. It's all good. Lots of people have taken many other liberties with this dish. They can add feta cheese on top. I've seen black olives. I've seen avocados. But that is completely up to you. Do what you need to do. I like making things as simple and delicious as possible. So I usually just keep it with a labna, maybe a fresh herb, and keep it at that. And of course, as I mentioned, you will need pita or crunchy bread to sop up the delicious saucy tomato pepper harissa goodness. And I've also eaten this over rice as well, which kind of makes it more of a lunch dish for me. I've actually had leftover shakshuka that I have taken to work with me, and I put it over a bed of rice. And I can just easily put that into the microwave at my job, and everybody is looking at me saying, what is that delicious smell? What are you making? Oh, this old thing? It's my leftover shakshuka. Because I listen to the Home Cook's Guide, and I make shakshuka. So this recipe will have some food scraps from the various veggies that we'll be using. Both the tomato and pepper stems are both not for consumption and cannot be used for any future stock. So those will go directly into the compost bins. Bell peppers, tomatoes, and potatoes are all a part of the nightshade family. And it's generally standard that you won't eat any of the stems of nightshades. That also goes for eggplant. We'll have some of the eggshells that we have used to crack our eggs, but we are just going to crush those up and put those into our compost bin along with the other stems. We might have some of those egg whites left over because they're all going to be clean and good. You could just throw them in your fridge and make an egg white scramble for yourself. Or if you're like me, I make it quickly scrambled and give it to my little doggy because she's a good girl. Um, So then we're going to have our garlic skins and we're going to put those into our compost for stock. And if you're using cilantro or parsley, you can also put those stems on top of the final shakshuka because they both have soft stems, which means their stems impart the same flavor as the leaves. So we want to make sure that we're utilizing every piece of the herbs and vegetables that we're using. All right. We have gone through the ingredients. We have figured out how to decrease our food waste with our ingredients. And now we're on to the fun part or intimidating part, depending on who you're asking. But I'm telling you, the cooking portion of this part is so simple and straightforward, a a child could do it. So first things first, we're going to need to heat up our olive oil in a large frying pan over medium heat. Once that's nice and warm, we're going to add the harissa paste, the tomato puree, not the tomatoes at this point, our peppers, our garlic, our cumin, and three-fourths of a teaspoon of salt. So from there, we'll really just stir all of those items together for about 8 to 10 minutes until those peppers begin to soften. Keep stirring because we don't want it to burn, especially that garlic. So after about those 10 minutes, we will add in our tomatoes and we'll bring the tomatoes and all of our other veggies to a gentle simmer. And a gentle simmer is just a low, slow boil where you'll see small little bubbles forming at the surface and they'll just break softly. It won't be too rapid. If it's too rapid, then we need to lower the temperature on our stove just a little bit. So once that tomato delicious mixture is simmering, we're going to let that cook for about 10 minutes until our tomatoes and peppers begin to thicken. And we're going to want this sauce to be a little bit thick. After those 10 minutes, you'll adjust for seasoning, a little salt, a little pep, see what you need. 
So once our tomato pepper mixture has been simmering for about 10 minutes, we are going to be ready to add in our eggs. So once you've decided on how many eggs you're going to want to be cooking, you'll take a back of a spoon and you're going to make a little dip into the sauce to make a little pouch for each of the eggs. The pouch doesn't have to go all the way to the bottom. It's really just a little indent into the sauce. So as I mentioned earlier, we're going to have those eggs that are still in their shells because we want to make sure that each whole egg is intact and we're not having too many of the eggs on top of one another. So as I mentioned, we'll start with the four little baskets and from there we'll just crack one, two, three, four full eggs into their baskets. And because you're going to be moving fast to get all your eggs in on time and this is like the, the big moment where there's a lot happening, some of your egg yolks might break and that is fine. It'll be a little less, you know, yolk porny and runny, but it'll still be delicious. And, you know, you still can get your Instagram picture. So we'll have our four main eggs there. And then from there, use your discretion on how many additional egg yolks you would like to add in. Again, go with God, but we don't want to crowd the pan with too many eggs. This is an exercise in moderation, people. As I mentioned, there's going to be a lot of the tomatoes and peppers and bread happening, so not every person will want to eat two full eggs. So now that we have all of our eggs in the pan, we are going to want to run a fork through the egg white membranes just to break it up a little bit so that it's not that clumpy, gluey egg white stuff on top of our delicious yolks. So once your eggs are snug as a bug, the egg white membrane which I didn't know it was called that until I started doing research for this episode and now I'm like disgusted but also interested <laughs> I don't know how to describe it but once our eggs are snug as a bug you can either keep them uncovered and cook for about eight to ten minutes or you can quicken up the process and cover the pan and cook for about five minutes if you choose to cook the eggs with the cover on top the eggs will come back with that kind of opaque film over the yolks which I just don't think is cute so I always keep it uncovered but do you maybe you're in a rush maybe some of the people you're cooking for are a little skeeved out by egg yolks then cover it and just cook for five minutes when you're cooking the eggs uncovered the eggs will really only heat from the bottom of the pan which is why it will take a little bit longer but if you cover the dish heat will come from both the bottom and will also steam from the top, which is what creates that film over the egg yolks. So while the eggs are cooking, at this point, we want to make sure we're toasting our bread and toasting our pita just so that they're warm and ready to eat when you put the delicious pan of shakshuka on the table for everybody to devour. So how will you know when it's ready? As I mentioned, uncovered about 8 to 10 minutes, covered about 5 minutes, but we also can just take the handle of the pan and shake the pan a little bit and we'll see how the egg yolks jiggle. So if it's jiggling, that means there's still softness and it'll still be runny. You know, if there's no jiggle wiggle, then, you know, you might have overcooked it a little bit. Um, it will still be delicious. It will still be nutritious. It'll still be a beautiful thing to look at, but you're not going to get that ooey gooey yolky moment. So that is another reason why I like to keep it uncovered and just kind of monitor it within those eight to 10 minutes because then you can really kind of jiggle as you go and see how your eggs are cooking. We're uncovered is no man's land. You don't know what's going on under that lid. <laughs> so I suggest uncovered, but go with however you want to do it. So once you feel good about your egg jiggle situation, you'll remove the pan from the heat and give it a couple minutes to just settle. From there, you'll be getting all your toppings ready. You'll be getting all your breads and pitas out of the oven or toaster or whatever you're using. And we will begin to assemble 
are toppings. So like I said, labna, Greek yogurt, cilantro, feta, avocado, whatever really strikes your fancy, whatever you've got that you think would add a delicious flavor to this, add it in. Why not? Then you can decide to either spoon into individual plates or you can just put the pan directly onto the table, obviously on some type of heat safe surface, and you will let your guests or your partner or hey, even yourself, just spoon up your own serving of it. So I always think it's fun when there's any kind of communal dining moment where a big dish is put on the table and everybody can kind of take from it, whether it's a paella, whether it's a shakshuka, I I think that's just fun. We love communal dining here at the Home Cook's Guide. <laughs> I do believe this dish will surprise and delight you. It's a healthy vegetarian option for breakfast or lunch just to mix things up a little bit. Because how many times can we really eat the same bacon and egg sandwich, bacon, egg, and cheese, cinnamon roll, French toast, pancakes? I love all of those things. But sometimes it is fun to mix it up, try something new, and maybe even try something that's a little bit out of your comfort zone. I can't stress enough how much the Greek yogurt or labna really will add a creamy impact to this dish and make it even more irresistible. I find myself going back for more dollops of cream, which is something I'm, which I think is something that I need to work on in terms of, you know, health and wellness, but we'll deal with that on another episode. Most important pro tip of this, you're going to want to make sure you have enough pita or bread for your guests because you will see people will go through the bread in record speed to get every last bite of this delicious sauce. So I hope you enjoyed this episode and I hope you try this recipe. Please reach out on social media or shoot me an email at Megan at the HCG podcast with your thoughts or any tips and tricks on how I can make this recipe even more delicious in the future. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Home Cook's Guide. If you're loving the show, leave me a five-star rating and a glowing review. You can also follow me on social media at The HCG Podcast or shoot me an email at Megan at thehcgpodcast.com. And let's not forget, I spell my name the right way, M-E-G-A-N. Got any good recipes? Send them my way, please. And be sure to tune in every week for more delicious recipes.